Hello there, and thank you for downloading this Ion Education podcast from the 1st of September. And on the programme today, we looked at all those school stories that are making headlines this week. We also reviewed the first week back at school. How was it for you? That was our top question. We talked about traffic. We also talked about how to iron out any nerves from newbies with social scientist Kiran Hillier. She's from the Heriot Watt University, Dubai. Plus, as the cost of extracurricular activities soars, how do you know which one to choose for your child? Should you be picking them, for example, with one eye on their future school or university applications? We got two differing views, one from Gareth Mordy from the Cognita Enrich Me programme and the other from Madaf Juneja, who is the UAE Country Manager for Crimson Education, and they help students choose which university they want to go to. We also put the spotlight on school safety, and as the UAE astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi prepares to come back to Earth this weekend, we looked at the effect his space mission has had on the children of the Emirates. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome to your second edition of Eye on Education this uh, autumn season. Plenty to look forward to. We're going to be taking a long, hard look at all the school stories that are making headlines uh, this week. We're also going to discuss... ECAs, those extracurricular activities, the costs are mounting. My goodness me, trying to choose which one the children should do and then sort of balance that with the cost is so difficult. I mean, in it, in an ideal world, I'd have them doing something fun every single afternoon, particularly because, you know, as a working mother, I'm not there to keep them entertained. But the reality is, is that it's just way too expensive. So I'd be really interested to know how you choose those extra school activities, whether or not you're finding the cost uh, a little bit of a hit this month. September's always an expensive month. Uh, We're also going to talk about school traffic. Obviously, the school run has been absolutely horrendous this week. Uh, My school's even brought in sort of tiered pickups in order to try and make it a bit easier in the afternoons. But the morning has been bad as well. I mean, hopefully that'll improve. But I mean... I don't know. All the same kids have to get to school every morning, don't they? So it's it's hard to see how that's going to change. And then, of course, there are the usual back to school nerves, the discovery that your best mate isn't in your class anymore. We're going to be um, inviting a psychologist into the studio in the next uh, 10 to 15 minutes. So if you've got any questions or concerns about your child's first week back at school, you know, if they're struggling in any way, uh, this is your chance to get some free advice. So please do get in touch with us on 4001 or you can WhatsApp us 04871 now, producer Jennifer Crichton's joined me in the studio because she's had uh, one very close eye on all those new headlines that all the, oh, I suppose, all the top stories that have been coming out over the last week. And, and it's been uh, the big announcement, I suppose, from, comes from the KHDA, who are the, the Knowledge and Development Authority, who look after the private schools here. They've released a whole bunch of new statistics, haven't they? That's right. And it's more evidence, really, of Dubai's population growth because we've seen five new private schools open ready for this academic year. They offer British and Indian curricula and the new schools have added 12,000 new school seats in Dubai. So that brings the total to 27 new private schools in the last four years and the total number across the city to 220. And here's a few more statistics for you. It's all the numbers today. So many numbers. Last year, Dubai had how many pupils enrolled in schools studying 17 curricula? Do you think? Oh, I can pretend I don't know, but I've got the number in front of me. <laughs> Could it be? This is when I can ch- sound very intelligent. Could it be around the uh, the three hundred and twenty six thousand mark? Spot on. What a guess. <laughs> they represent 17 curricula across diverse countries, languages, educational methodologies, as you'd expect, considering the melting pot that is Dubai. But British curricula does account for the highest share at 36%, followed by the Indian curriculum at 25%, US with 15 and the IB with 7%. That's lower than I'd expect, actually. I IB. was surprised by that as yeah. well. 
I thought IB would be further up that table. 7% isn't as much as I would have expected. It's very interesting. It is very interesting. All sorts of different schools, though, here, aren't there? You know, it's not just, you know, IB, US, Indian, British. That's it. So many. We've now got Chinese, Japanese, German, French, Australian, Spanish and Filipino curricula among Many others. It's a very, very varied picture out there now and just becoming more varied as those new schools open. Yeah, I hear another one is in the pipework as well. You know, they haven't laid the first bricks yet or anything like that. But but is there going to be a new Pakistani school? Is that right? I believe so. And we've now got a significant um, new development in that. So once approved and completed, this school is going to be accommodating around 4,000 students. That's according to the Pakistan Association Dubai. Currently, only a few schools cater to the 1.7 million strong Pakistani community. It is actually the largest, second largest, sorry, community in the UAE. But most Pakistani students in the UAE at the moment are enrolled in British curriculum institutes. So the association's actually looking at an own a brick campaign to get that school underway. Meanwhile, good news for a team of children uh, from JSS International School in Dubai. They are celebrating after they secured victory at, what is this? It's the UAE National Championship for Racing. What's that involve? Yes. So you know how every so often we get kids in who just absolutely put us to shame with how smart they are. I got over the summer to meet two of those kids. Now, they are part of Team Nautilus, who out of more than 13,000 participants emerged as champions in that competition, creating the UAE's fastest car. And when they said that, I had visions of teenagers building Formula One cars. And it is essentially a Formula One car, except that it fits in the palm of your hand. Oh, so it's a tiny little car. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny car. In fact, it weighs 50 grams, which is the the what? weight limit for their tiny cars in this contest. How much it's does astonishing. a phone weigh? I'm going to look what an iPhone weighs. So a that lot I'd... more than 50 grams. Really? Yes. 50 grams is not much at all. Yeah, an iPhone, I mean, of course, they're all different blooming weights, aren't they? But an iPhone 14 Pro Max is 240 grams. Yes. So that's 50 of these little, five of these little cars. Yes. They Don't are, do maths on it, the radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tiny little car. And yet they achieved a record-breaking time of a 1.7, sorry, 1.074 second run at the Yas Marina circuit. Is that a, gro- but that's a grown-up car circuit. So they It doesn't their- do the whole circuit. It oh, does, okay. it does a track okay. as part of the circuit but it's it's fast it's still fast it's it still fast, fast. No, i'm not i'm sorry i'm not i'm not bringing their their achievement down in any way i've just tried to understand the story i mean, I mean it's done significantly fast that they've now earned the privilege of representing the uae on an international stage at the prestigious f1 in schools world finals which are taking place in Singapore. So they're all flying off to Singapore next week. So we'll be hearing more about them at the end of the programme because I had two members of the team, Hema Dasani and Dhruv Pramod Cattell, pop in over the summer while you were on holiday. And as a little taster, Hema was explaining why she thinks they could be in a chance with clinching the UAE's first ever world title in that contest. I'd say Nautilus is a team that we don't have any limits when it comes to any project element, whether it's marketing, sponsorships, engineering. We make sure that we touch upon each and every element. So we definitely do not have any set boundaries to where our innovation goes still. And we try to go above and beyond our way. Okay, another big topic for us. I mean, I should just back Anno that because she sounds amazing and, and very so smart. exciting. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's a really good achievement. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of that interview uh, just before one o'clock today. Um, let's take a look at another big topic. I suppose it's linked in some ways because it involves cars. <laughs> Great segue there. I'm all over it this morning. Um, it's the, yeah, it's a big topic is safety on the roads around schools. Now, Jen, you were away last week as we sort of swapped holidays. Um, uh, we talked about this initiative that was launched last week by the Ministry of Interior. They wanted to create an accident free day on the first day back at school. Great initiative. Uh, good news. It was successful after zero incidents were recorded around the Emirates schools. That's according to Dubai police. Uh, the general gist was that they had this scheme and they offered to wipe four black points from driving licences if motorists avoided accidents and didn't break any traffic regulations on Monday. In order to sort of qualify that, you had to go online and sign a pledge to say that you're going to avoid speeding, maintain a safe distance and exercise caution. I would be really interested if anyone listening 
had actually looked and seen whether they've had their black points deleted because it was a great initiative. But of course, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, did it work in the sense that did anyone get their black points removed? Because that must be quite a different. I mean, it's all electronic now, so it's probably quite easy. But yeah, I mean, Dubai police say that uh, it all went well. They managed the, you know, the new influx of school bound traffic. They were really on hand to make sure that the kids arrived safely in their classrooms. It is typically one of the busiest days of the year. Although, frankly, I've heard that it's actually got busier as the weeks gone on. I mean, you've been doing the school run this week. How, how bad is it out there? I mean, the thing is, we went back on Monday and I gathered that quite a few people didn't go back until Tuesday or Wednesday or even one person I spoke to yesterday was Thursday. Yeah, Tom's kids, he said that they weren't going to be in until midweek. They're a bit older than ours. They're older, that's it. So, I mean, we were back on Monday and I have to say it wasn't too bad, but... I can't really do a compare and contrast because I moved house over the summer. So I'm not sure. You're coming from a different angle. I'm coming from a different direction entirely now. So I'm sort of going against the traffic almost to our school now, which is great. So I've more or less got the road to myself until I get to the block of school and then the chaos starts. But I don't know how to really compare it to last year. What I would say is our school has sort of changed the start time slightly and I am no longer alone at the school gate at 7.29, which is deeply upsetting to me. Too many people have spotted that the secret to uh, arriving at school calmly is to get up early in the morning. We've been trying that as an effort, you know, getting, you know, leaving 15 minutes early. But sadly, we aren't the only ones with that idea. Everyone's had that idea. It's very upsetting. But the, the government has made several announcements, haven't they, about new infrastructure projects, you know, all with this, this sort of aim of making things safer for school, the school run. Absolutely. And over the summer, we actually saw two major initiatives that we're going to be discussing later in the show relating to traffic around the school run. But the biggest one was a major new infrastructure project which has been aimed at improving road safety rates across the country, but one aspect of which is a specific focus on the school run and what they are going to be calling smart schools. Now, Thomas Edelman, the founder of Road Safety UAE, says there's actually a lot that can be done with infrastructure to improve the flow of traffic around schools. Technology can play a role there. Certainly, police presence can play a role there. Uh, again, the element of infrastructure can play a role there. How the roads are designed, how the, the parking uh, opportunities are designed. Very often you don't really have dedicated parking uh, spots next to the schools. Maybe the existing infrastructure can temporarily accommodate uh, parking parents. Thomas Edelman there, founder of Road Safety UAE. And uh, like Jen said, we will be touching on that subject again uh, as the programme progresses. Just before midday, we'll be talking about school safety. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to the Agenda. Fantastic to have you with us. We are in the midst of our special Eye on Education programme, uh, which, of course, is our opportunity to look at all the top school stories, all the nursery stories, all the university stories that are making headlines. Uh, and it would be remiss of us not to note the fact uh, that we are just about coming to the end of the first week back at school. Now, my kids were back on Monday. I know that people, uh, some people had a bit more of a staggered start. Uh, but it's fair to say the first week back at school will always be a bit nerve-wracking you know there's managing the new timetable remembering PE kit meeting the new school teacher and that's just for the parents goodness knows what it's like for the school children there's the issue of all those new kids all those potentially new social groups and and not to mention for some young people thinking about the teenagers you've got the concept of exams looming on the horizon for the first time in fact my 10 going on 11 year old has got exams this autumn because we're looking to send him back to school in the United Kingdom in about three years time and would you believe it he needs to take in an exam this term in order to get into the new school age 13 so he's you know even at that young age he's already got some sort of exams looming on the horizon so it all adds up to you know an exciting sort of high pressure nerve-wracking fun time in in many ways but navigating it can be difficult for both kids and parents alike I mean think about those those social situations on the whatsapp groups I've I've already had one moment where 
one lady on the WhatsApp group basically treated the, uh, you know, how parents sign up to help each other to be the sort of class rep. I've had one parent basically telling off the class rep for not doing a good enough job. That was in the first week at school. And I was just getting out the popcorn at that stage. I was like, my goodness me, uh, that's an interesting start uh, to to a new class. Um, so yeah, keep, do keep your comments coming as, as to what the first week at school has been you know, like for you, like for your kids. I, I'd love to hear from you, 4001. Or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 You might want to use those numbers uh, for questions as well, because I'm delighted to say uh, that I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Karen Hillier, Hillier, who is a clinical psychologist, also assistant professor at the School of Sciences at Dubai's Harriet Watt University. Really someone who can come at this conversation from uh, two sides of the picture, because obviously as a clinical psychologist can talk about, you know, how to help children deal with these types of situations. Uh, but also, Dr. Hillier, you, you're actually, you know, working in a university. So mm. in the next few weeks, you're going to have a whole new batch of students, aren't you? When do the university kids start? We have induction week next week. And then uh, the following week is when classes start. Do you call it Freshers Week or has that changed? We call it Welcome Week. Oh, um, that's way more friendly. <laughs> Freshers had the sort of hazing element to it, I think, or at least at my university it did. Do you say hazing? I think we can say hazing. Mm, mm. Um, tell me, I mean, it's great to have you in the studio. I, I mean, I wonder what the main anxiety anxieties uh, you sort of see uh, both in your own pupils and uh, and that you would you know conceive of as a psychologist you know what are the main anxieties at this time of year uh, so it can it does vary a bit depending on the age um, of the children so with very young children um, there's issues around separation anxiety from the parents and getting used to the structure of school, having to sit for periods of time and, you know, that there's certain things you need to do. Um, and then as they get older, it starts to move towards social anxieties that they have around the friendships that they're making and, um, oh, my friend did this or they're excluding me or I'm worried about having the right pair of shoes at school. Um, and then usually it's in the later years that we start to see that academic pressure. Although it's interesting you mentioned your own children and that in when they're 10 years old, they're already having to start to deal well, with Well, so you know what's interesting about that is that I have totally tried to shield that pressure mm. from him as much as possible. Um, so, so in some ways, that's parental stress rather than, although I think some people do tell their children about it. I mean, I have told him that it's important that he does well and so maybe I have put this as I say that I'm like oh look at that I actually have put put pressure on him but yeah I mean it is interesting how you say those um, that changes uh, over you know it, it, over the age groups you know mm-hmm. there's a difference um, so I mean anxiety or at least nerves about those types of things are totally understandable yes but at what stage does it become more than a you know, when you're sitting around and having tea, like, don't worry about it, or, you know, you'll be able to, you know, talking through it to something a bit more serious. Right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, anxiety in and of itself is a very normal emotion to have. Um, It's when we feel like those anxiety levels are becoming unmanageable uh, for kids. And so signs of that might be like high levels of emotional distress. So they're getting quite teary um, or there's school refusal um, or they're talking about maybe some physical sounding symptoms, um, whether that's nausea or headaches. And that could be a genuine like uh, issue that they're having, or it could be, which is an expression of anxiety for some people, um, or it might be an excuse that they're giving to try to avoid going to school. Um, So those are the types of things or very intrusive thoughts that they're constantly worried about these things. And even when they're meant to be busy with family or extracurricular activities, it's constantly on their mind. That's when you might want to get some additional support. That is very interesting to hear because oddly enough, I mean, we're just coming up to the news now, so I'll have to come back to you on this. But oddly enough, I'm I can always tell if something's going wrong at school, Mm -hmm. if my son suddenly claims in the 15 minutes before we leave to have a little bit of a tummy ache or a headache or not feeling all that well. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm quite frank about it. At that point, I'm a bit like, well, 
you know, what's going on at school then? What's the problem? Why don't you want to go in? Uh, But I think you, well, I'll ask you in a few minutes whether or not that's the right way to to address it, whether Mm -hmm. being upfront and open is is the best approach in these situations or whether you need to sort of circumvent the problem uh, and come round to it. Mm -hmm. We're mid-conversation here with uh, Professor Kieran Hillier, who's from the School of Sciences at Heriot Watt University. Uh, She's a clinical psychologist. She's very happy to take your questions on back-to-school nerves or any problems that you might be facing either as a as a pupil or perhaps as a as a new parent to a school because you know schools here in Dubai we're a very transient nation for for a lot of parents they if they're new to the city or new to the country the school is going to be their major sort of social hunting ground for mm-hmm. friends isn't it uh, so let's talk about that as well in in the coming minutes this is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Great to have you with us here. Uh, this is Eye on Education on the Agenda. And we are taking a long, hard look at the first week back at school. Always a bit nerve-wracking. Uh, predominant emotion for me is, wow, the traffic's bad. I imagine you're in it right now, 11.36. My goodness me, the school run is on. Jen, producer Jen, will be joining us in a few minutes for Jams with Jen. She'll be telling you all about the traffic on the roads. But I imagine, I mean, we, you know, it's to be expected that, that there's going to be queues coming up to midday today. Uh, and there is a lot to remember uh, when you're going back to school. There's a lot to get used to, especially if you're a young child. Maybe you're starting school for the first time or maybe you're just going into a new class. Then, of course, you've got you know, the experiences as you move up the schools, you know, secondary school, university, you know, anxiety for freshers as well. Uh, So it's not surprising that we decided that today was the day to bring in uh, psychologist uh, Professor Kieran Hillier from the School of Sciences at Heriot Watt University, Dubai. Now, uh, Kieran, thank you for staying with us, first Mm -hmm. of all. Lots of questions coming in for you. First up, you know, if your child is struggling, whatever age they are, to what extent do you need to help them through it? And Mm -hmm. to what extent do they have to just buckle up for the ride. Right. Yeah, it's a tricky balance and sometimes uh, parents can find it difficult to let their children experience stress um, or difficulties uh, because stress and anxiety are very normal to be expected parts of um, our day-to-day life. And so it's also important that we teach our kids on how to handle those difficult emotions. Um, So it is I often will talk with parents about what's really important is that your children see you as a source of safety, Um, that if they are worried about something, that they feel comfortable approaching you with that. Now, that approach might differ with kids. So you mentioned that your son, he'll talk about a tummy ache, and he might know, given your past responses, that if I express it this way, I know mum's going to ask about school, and that might just be how he feels more comfortable talking or introducing that topic. Other children might be more direct. So I always get parents to reflect on do you see yourself as a source of safety for your kids or a source of threat whereby if they are worried about, for example, academic performance, if they were to fail an exam, would they be quite panicked and scared about talking to you about that because of your own response? Or would they feel like you would be able to make me feel better and come up with some solutions as to how to deal with that? So it is about often helping kids um, at that age-appropriate level Uh, giving them the tools and sort of walking them through it, but getting them to practice doing that so that they come to learn that even if something is difficult for me, I'm able to handle that. And these negative emotions or unpleasant emotions that I'm having are going to go away. I mean, the main thing I've tried to attempt to do with the children, and I always have, I always think one when I'm having a conversation with a psychologist is, am I getting it right? Mm-hmm. So I always try to say that to my boys, look, I'll be on your side. Like you might have done something wrong, but I'll be on your deci- on your side to help you work through it. But mm-hmm. I still worry that I'm still quite strict and scary and, and they might and they might not come to me. And I'm a bit like, you know, I do slightly shove them out there slightly. Um, how about when they get a little bit older? Because obviously you've got these this group of freshers, mm-hmm. young university students arriving next week. Yeah. I mean, do you have strategies to help them settle in? Because for, for many of them, it's going to be their first time living away from home, isn't sure. it? Yeah, yeah. And also, even for the students who are still living at home, 
they are shifting to a form of education where there's a lot more expectations around their own self-discipline and initiative in taking responsibility for their own learning. So as one of their professors, I tell them, I'm not going to be following up with you um, about whether you've done the reading each week um, or are attending lectures. You know, if I notice a pattern after a while, I'm going to reach out. But you're an adult now, and so it's your responsibility to manage your time effectively in light of other responsibilities and commitments that you might have. Um, So our goal is often around with the university students, it's again – letting them know about all the different resources that we have as a university. And so we have well-being services. If it's more emotional, we have disability services. If kids have um, or if students have learning needs and, and require accommodations for that, we have academic supports in regards to our uh, learning advisors. We have library resources. We have the study hub. And so all of these things around, okay, once um, your personal tutor, who's an academic member of staff, can help sort of refine, okay, this might be what is helpful for you, but I'm not going to be holding your hand and sort of making sure you do these things. I am directing you to those resources, but it's also about um, giving you that autonomy and that responsibility for then it's you need to be going in and accessing those services. Whereas for younger kids, um, it can be helpful and sort of reassuring for them to to build, um, to offer some more direct support, but it is about parents again the goal is maybe I'll sort of come with you for this first bit but then I'm going to uh, not come to the second session or something like that Uh, but always validating the emotions that kids are feeling I think sometimes parents can um, go to the side of like oh it'll be fine and then it's kids can feel a bit unheard in that sense so if they're talking about oh my friends have kind of been leaving me out acknowledging that emotion, going like, oh, that sounds like, you know, that must be really sad or quite confusing and um, helping them to see that you've got that empathy and you've got a sense of what they're going through. And it's like what um, what would be helpful um, to sort of cope with that. But also, and we see this with university students as well, um, when they get a bit older, we can look at getting them to kind of reflect on their own thoughts because anxiety is... Uh, a very tricky beast and it kind of feeds off itself. And so the scenario we build up in our head can be much scarier than the actual thing. So it might be, okay, well, why don't you, let's say a student's got concerns about giving a presentation in front of the class. Um, It might be, what are you worried about is actually going to happen? What's the likelihood of that? How would you know that that's going to happen? And let's sort of, what what about some practice? Um, And so getting them that exposure and them to see like, oh, okay, this wasn't as bad as I was expecting it because a lot of the time we have an amazing ability to make things out to be much worse than they are. Um, and so testing the waters can be really helpful. Yeah, sort of breaking it down into, into manageable parcels, mm. I think, is always the best idea. It's very easy to catastrophize if you look at the whole problem on mass. Right. It's What's interesting about schools and universities is that you've got that academic side. Mm. But I would say that I think 95% of people's anxieties around education isn't actually about education. It's about friend making Mm -hmm. because, and I think that, I think that counts for parents as well, especially in a transient nation like the UAE. You know, how would you advise mums and dads, you know, probably mostly mums without wanting to be too stereotypical, you know, who are looking to make friends through these schools' relationships. Now, making friends as an adult is is really hard. hard. (laughs) Um, I mean, what would be your advice on how to navigate these relationships? Because there might be some parents in the car right now on the school run. They've just moved to Dubai and Mm. they are relying on their child's school to help them find a community to Mm -hmm. make friends. How do you do it? Yeah. Um, and I think it's good to sort of go, yeah, what are what are my goals here in the types of relationship that I'm looking for? Am I looking for someone who, you know, once a week we sort of meet up as a group, a big group? Um, or am I looking for one-on-one? Am I looking to get involved in school activities? So is there a committee that I could volunteer for? Um Uh, Am I looking for people who sort of live more locally because I'd actually want to be going for a walk with someone, you know, while my child is at school? Uh, And then talking with the school because they might have some already established networks and platforms in order to help with that or like, well, there's these committees or these groups that we formed um, and link you up with those. Maybe checking out on Facebook, there might be some different groups. But it's also being mindful that just because your kids go to the same school – 
that doesn't guarantee you're going to be best buds um, with all of these people. And certainly, um, you mentioned before, you know, WhatsApp groups can degenerate into this quite toxic, very dramatic um, conversations. And it can be, I'm not really finding this very fulfilling. So it's allowing yourself that time that I... um, shouldn't go into this maybe first meeting expecting to be best friends mm. uh, with someone, that that's going to take some time. Softly, but softly. Softly. and Catch you know, the monkey. What are the things that you <laughs> find friend. interesting? Because then you're still going to find that a rewarding experience whilst you're building those relationships rather than the goal being purely to be that I need to make some friendships here. It's like what else am I going to get out of this experience that would be fulfilling for me? Really great advice there, as always. Uh, Professor Kieran Hiller, thank you, Hillier, thank you so much for your help. Really great to have you join us in the studio to, to answer all those questions about the, uh, I suppose, the, you know, the, the tricky bits of, go- of that first week back at school, mm. the tricky bits of making brand new friends, dealing with a new curriculum. It's been fantastic to have you with us. Uh, so you are, let me just remind everybody, from the School of Sciences here at Harriet Watt University, Dubai, conveniently located right next door Very to Dubai I 103.8, <laughs> uh, which might be why uh, the other reason why you're regularly invited back <laughs> in, not just because of your absolutely fantastic <laughs> advice. But yeah, uh, Karen Hillier there, a psychologist and assistant professor at Harriet Watt University. Thank you very much indeed for your time. It's been great to have you here. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Good to have you with us here on the Agenda. And we are in the midst of our special Eye on Education programme. I imagine lots of you are listening right now uh, stuck in traffic on the way to the school run. I wish you all the best with it. Uh, And I suppose... One of our other big anxieties around starting back at school, not just the traffic, of course, but which extra school activities you should pick for your kids. We've already shelled out a huge amount of money for school fees. And September always feels like a ridiculously expensive month as the as the cost of those extra activities soar. I mean, I'm in a situation now where... I think we're going to go with rugby as one and then either swimming or tennis as the other. But frankly, you know, we can't afford to do both. Uh, and even that expense is hitting hard this month. So how do you pick which extra activities are best for your children? You know, do you go with sports or sciences? Do you go with drama or do you go with coding? Should you have one eye on just what they enjoy? I was just chatting to producer Jen. She says that she just goes with whatever her son likes. Whereas I'm a bit more strategic. You know, I, I'm hoping to retire early. I want my children to go uh, into sort of computer coding or something like that. So I Or banking. So they'll be doing either chess or coding. I think they're probably listening to the radio right now. Um, you know, we've, I've, I've got one eye on, on future, I don't know, on a future career, frankly. Isn't that awful? Age nine and ten, I'm already considering what would be good uh, for their university application or their senior school application. So... Is this the way we should be looking at things? Who's right, Jen or Georgia? Uh, and I also like to know how you look at it. So get in touch with us, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 The good news is I've got a couple of experts joining us on the radio to give us some advice. And first up, we've got Gareth Morday. He is the general manager for the Cognita Enrich Me program, which, of course, focuses on extra school activities. He joins me now on team. Gareth, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me. Uh, Let's talk about the value of extra school activities, extracurricular activities first. Sure. Hi, Georgia. I think um, well, you summarised it up quite well there. And um, my son wants to be a Formula One driver, so um, I can't wait to retire when when he finally replaces Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but unfortunately, we don't have racing tracks, so we don't offer um, F1 as as an ECA yet. Um, No, I think it's really important to Firstly, recognise how how well the teachers do and and the offerings that the teachers in the schools around um, the Middle East and and specifically in Dubai offer the ECA free programme. So I think there's a a huge offering um, that is outside of the classroom, so beyond the classroom and um, letting children explore their passions within their regular school teacher contact. Um, And then there's just a huge demand for um, expertise that is is driven by the the sporting or arts or drama drama expert who comes into the schools post the teacher who they do have to go home and and have a rest and and work on the plans for the rest of the week. So I just think there's a huge market 
Um, I've been here, fortunate enough to be in Dubai for, this is my 19th academic year. Goodness. Um, so I've seen a lot of change. I've seen a lot of increases in lots of different areas, costs being one, quality being one, um, saturation being one. So I'm I'm fully um, aware of the landscape um, and 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 yeah, we're here to deliver an incredible service. And when I say we, I mean the whole sector. I speak on behalf of everybody who's trying to um, give the best experiences for for our children. Yeah, we're very lucky at our school. I, I mean, I have to admit they're they're at an expensive one. Uh, so I, I'm I'm pleased that that we're getting our, our money's worth. But we get per child two free extra activities after school. They're called the ASAs. No, no, the ones that we pay for are called the ASAs. These were ECAs. We love an we love an acronym in education, don't acronym. we? Um, and so those those are the free ones that get offered. And then there's the other ones that that we pay for. I mean, obviously, we're all so lucky, you know, that you can afford to to pay for these things at, at all over here in Dubai. I know there's lots of um, there's lots of families who struggle. I mean, what I what I'd like to ask is is whether or not there is an educational case for extra activities because some people argue that the school School day is hard enough. Then the children have homework. Are we overloading them? Are we not giving them enough downtime? Well, it's a it's a fair point, and I think everything that we do and everything every part of our life is about balance. But I, I think extracurricular the the dynamic extension of what happens in the classroom as well, and then sort of finding that sweet spot of what our young people really want to try and achieve in number one, what they want to. Um, attempt to be good at or just explore them they're exploring themselves in many different ways and i've seen many examples of oh she would never want to do that but then she signs up and suddenly she's doing two times a week three times a week development program performance and then they're, they're performing at the end of season awards so it's like it's a, it's about balance it's about balancing the whole um student journey from regular school homework other things, family, friends, other social activities. It shouldn't be too much and it shouldn't be over, overpowering. But finding the right activity or activities is a challenge. But once you do, you'll, you'll know about it because the, your students and your, and, your, and your sons and daughters will, will be um, asking to do more. So I've got my list here. It just got sent through conveniently in the last hour. I'm only going to do one of the kids. So this is my year four. Oh, is he in year six now? Oh, my God, I looked at the wrong one. Okay, so say he was in year five. This is part of the problem. Like, you're writ large. This is what what parents struggle with. Um, Okay, so on Monday, he could do for free maths challenge, eco club, public speaking or visual arts. Okay, now, which one? is best like how do i pick it maths he might become a banker eco well we all know that the sustainability economy is growing fast public speaking that's about confidence visual arts well i don't want him to i don't want him to be an artist because they don't earn any money um but you know maybe that would add to a you know that would that would expand his brain you know and therefore feed in in other ways how do you pick how do how do i pick gareth well, well, I mean, it, it it ultimately is up to to yourself as a family to decide what what path you want wish to go down. But if you if, again, I take myself as an example. I was a failed professional footballer, and the skills I learned in football were so transferable into what I do now. Um, and that might, uh, in fact, if you choose public speaking and he goes on to a successful career, I might go on one of his courses, hopefully. But it's around them transferable skills, finding the passion, finding the comfort for now, making children enjoy what they do. And if they enjoy it, they will stay in it and they will give more to it. And and and, and that's the advice I would offer. I, I'm not going to say I think they should do two, three, three and you should pay for six. It's not about that. It's about looking after the children's well-being, understanding the child's journey and for some parents, it's a little bit of a push in certain directions, and we understand that. But yeah. it's about what's right for each individual child, whether that's in an individual sport or arts or whatever, or a team sport where they might need a little bit more encouragement. So this is about this is about not just the academic achievements. This is about, I suppose, developing those other skills, the social skills, the the sort of awesome. what do you call them in the school context? The the, the uh, I can't think of the word. You yeah, know, yeah. the the yeah, teamwork, like, development skills, social ones. leadership. That's, yes, <laughs> that's soft skills. That's what it is exactly. Yeah. So, so is is that why, in your view, it's important that children do these sort of extra elements or add these extra elements to their already busy yeah. days? 
Yes, and as I said, it's an extension of the amazing work that we're so fortunate to have amazing schools around Dubai, right? So it's just an extension of what is going on in the classroom. And it's the ability to do a little bit more. It's the ability to potentially get a specialist person or coach or instructor to deliver um, the, the activity that the children or the families want them to do. Um, and as I said, it's, it's, it's the passion beyond the classroom is, is the key in trying to find where. And it, listen, Georgia, it could be swimming, sign up. It could be, I don't like it, mummy, three weeks in, go try again, seven weeks, don't like it after seven weeks, pull out. And you've got to have the ability, the flexibility, you've got to have the right academy who gives you that to be able to just change until you find what is right for your child. Every child is different and every child has different needs. Absolutely brilliant to speak to you, Gareth. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I know it's a, it's a busy day. We all know it's, it's school run time now. So no doubt you're having to head off uh, to get your boy back home uh, for the afternoon. Or maybe you've got, we've got somebody doing it because, you know, we're in work at the moment. But uh, really fantastic to speak to you to get a sense of what type of ECAs, you know, how, how to choose your ECA, how to choose those extra activities. We all know that they can cost a fortune, uh, but how you choose which one is best for you. Gareth Morday there, General manager of the Cognita Enrich Me programme. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the show. On the programme today, we've got a special focus on education. In particular, we're talking about which extra school activities are best for your children. It is very difficult to pick where to spend your money, frankly, because they're getting so expensive here in the UAE. And ultimately, there's limited time on your child's schedule. There's limited time uh, when it comes to your, there's limited funds when it comes to your bank balance. So there's, you know, there's a lot to consider. You know, do you go for something that uh, your child enjoys or do you go for something that will look good on their CV in the future. Uh, joining us now to talk about that is uh, Madaf Janaja. He's the UAE Country Manager for Crimson Education. Now, they help uh, pupils uh, and students around the world choose which university is right for them. Madaf, thank you so much for joining us on the line. Really good to have you with us. I mean, first up, when you go for these sort of top universities or these top schools, how important are these sort of non-academic extra school activities fr- from their point of view when they're looking at your child's application? Extremely important. It is specific to geographies as well uh, in terms of, I think the UK is a lot more score or, or academic centric in terms of admissions. Uh, but even, I mean, there would be thousands of students who got those top A-level scores or whichever curriculum a student is doing. So the extracurriculars largely become the differentiating tool along with your personal statement and so on. In the US, they play an even bigger role. Um, if you were to visualize a pie chart of how what dictates admission outcomes, academics would be 40%, extracurriculars would be 30%, so almost as important, uh, and the applications would be the remaining 30%. So extremely important. Uh, I think it's also, uh, yeah, extremely important. Yeah, so ultimately, you do need to shell out for these extra school activities as a parent. So how do you pick them? Like, what would you go for? You know, drama or or sport or coding or art, you know, or, or charitable work. You know, wh- which ones would you recommend? Which which look best? If you're going to be cynical about it, you're going to be shelling out money. Which ones look best on the, on your child's, you know, mission statement? I think the, the biggest challenge students face today is there are just so many more students applying to top universities around the world today than ever before. And if you look at the basket of activities that a typical student has, it typically includes some kind of school leadership position, perhaps debate model UN, perhaps music, perhaps a sport and so on. So my first tip would be, it's important to be strategic when picking extracurriculars as well. You want to pick things where you have a competitive advantage. If you pick something like debate and you're going to make that a big part of your profile, that's something which, that's an oversubscribed extracurricular thousands of students are doing it. So if that's going to be a big part of your profile, you need to be doing it at a national or a regional or or even an international level. Uh, So I think you want to be strategic, pick things which are outside the norm, uh, not just the typical basket of activities. You want to focus on things like research, internships, 
personal sort of leadership projects, whether it's starting a podcast, whether uh, it's an awareness campaign, maybe a small business, maybe you develop an app that addresses a specific social problem. You want to be creative with what kind of projects you do. And, and that can't be just the institution based ones. Uh, also, I think what parents and students want to keep in mind is it needs to build to the overall personal brand of the student and, and the theme of the application. So there isn't a universal list of extracurriculars that apply to every student. It really depends on the specific student profile and, and what skills uh, they want to showcase, what causes they care about, and how they want to link all of this to their application story. There's a key link there. So all of those factors dictate what kinds of extracurriculars one should be picking. So there does need to be, you know, authenticity there. While you can be strategic, you know, there does need to be a coherent picture when it comes to your your university application. I mean, how about sports? She said desperately, because that's what my kids are, are really good at. You know, how, you know, is it important for your child to be on a on a sports team, for example? I think if sports is going to play a, a critical role in the admissions process, you need to be competing at a national or international level. There's specific benchmarks established for different sports. For instance, for swimming, it would be measured in terms of your timing per kind of race. Uh, and, and for different sports, there would be different benchmarks. So from a university admission point of view, if it's one of your top activities, it needs to be at an extremely high level. Uh, otherwise, I would say sports don't play a, a critical part from an admissions point of view, but it's obviously something which is great for personal well-being, be it physical and mental as well. And I think it allows students to actually deal with all the, the stress and the workload they face, not just in high school, but in university and beyond. So as counselors, when we work with students, we never tell them to compromise on playing sport, but perhaps instead of playing four inter-school sports, they could pick two of those and, and play those and, and free up some of the other time, which can go to some of the more academic extracurriculars and so on. Madhav, I absolutely love having you on the program, partly because you scare the life out of me and make me feel a lot more ambitious for my children. And they're only, you know, nine and 10, but it makes you realize what you have to, to think about as a, as a parent from quite an, an early stage. Uh, but also because you have such great advice on, on what children and their parents should be focusing on if you want to be a strategic, of course. I mean, in the early years, it, it probably doesn't matter as much. But if you're starting to head into the teens and you want your child to go to a great university, then these are the things that other parents are thinking about. And you, you know, if you can't beat them, you, you have to join them, ultimately. Uh, Madhav Janeja, thank you very much indeed for your time. He's UAE Country Manager for Crimson Education, giving us great free advice here on Ion Education on the agenda. Coming up next, we've got our news headlines. We barely have a moment to pause for thought, and then we're straight into considering the impact that the UAE astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi has had on the UAE children. Ultimately, he's coming to the end of his six months on the International Space Station. There's been a big educational program uh, sort of linked to that six-month trip, that six-month mission. Uh, And we're going to speak to one of the people who's been leading that program coming up in the next few minutes. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the program. Now, would you believe it that six months has come to an end already? UAE astronaut Sultan Al-Niyadi and his crew six mates are going to begin their journey back to Earth at uh, just after 5 p.m. tomorrow and are scheduled to splash down off the coast of Florida no earlier than 8.58 a.m. on Sunday, September the 3rd. Now, that is our time. Uh, Both ends of that journey are going to be live streamed, and I imagine they're going to be watched eagerly by the entire nation, plus thousands of school children across the nation who've been engaged with the mission in no small part because of the mission's educational school program. Have a quick listen to this. After six months in space, with over 200 scientific experiments, the success of the first Terab spacewalk, and over 1,000 hours of space operations. The moment of reunion draws near. 
Oh, wow. Fantastic drama. And it gives you a bit of a sense there of just how cinematic that return to Earth is likely to be. That clip was taken from a video shared by the Louvre Abu Dhabi, which was the location of uh, Sultan al Niadi's final call with space in the Emirates. It is the longest Arab space mission in history. Uh, we're all hugely excited here at Dubai 103.8 that he's going to be returning back to Earth. Um, Amar al Sayy al Gaffari, he's assistant director general of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center, says the reality is is that Sultan Al Niadi has encouraged thousands of people to be part of the space community. He has also done close to twenty educational and community outreach events, and within this event, he reached out to more than ten thousand people. Let's talk about uh, that uh, reach out program. Let's talk about that strategy and the impact that it's had on school children in the UAE and further afield. I'm joined on the line by one of the organisers, which is Ahlam Baluki, who is the CEO of the Emirates Literature Foundation. Of course, the foundation's always had great links with schools in the UAE, thanks to uh, the Lit Fest. Uh, and I think that's probably what the Mohammed bin Rashid uh, Space Centre were hoping to draw on, that level of knowledge. Ahlam. How has the, um, the programme gone? I mean, you, you had it planned many months in advance, didn't you? Yes, we did. Thank you for hosting me today, Georgia. It's been an incredible six months. Uh, the programme has gone phenomenally well. We've achieved... Um, um, We've achieved uh, amazing numbers. We had uh, over 710 schools uh, register to the program, um, through which we reached 650,000 students. And not only from the UAE, we had students uh, tune in from schools in India, in Egypt, in the UK, in the US. Um, We've had kids from all over the world tune into this um, amazing educational program where uh, we had weekly episodes as a part of the series, 20 episodes in total, where we explored things like the environment uh, in space and the link between a deep sea exploration and deep space exploration and, and what, are, what are the commonalities there and looking at things at simpler things like exercise in space what does that look like what does space smell like what does um you know things that um you know, storytelling is the best way to bring complex topics um, uh, and simplify them and let uh, people all over the world uh, connect to maybe science and um, and and sort of sort of more complex topics. And I think we've achieved that through this um, uh, this program really well. Um, kids have been super engaged and inspired. And um, through, you know, you can you can have a look at some of the clips that we have on our social media uh, on Elf Dubai and you'll see incredible questions that the kids ask. You know, sometimes um, the simple questions that they ask about space, they really address the the foundation of what we're really trying to do here, the most important points. And I think um, um, we, we've certainly um, inspired uh, the future generation of uh, people who will be looking after the space programs and space, space exploration. I mean, one of the, the great things uh, is, is having an Emirati astronaut up there in space. Like space is exciting it's in itself, but the fact yeah. that uh, for, for local children, for, for Arab children, for Middle Eastern children, they've got somebody yes. up there on the International Space Station who looks like them. Absolutely. And, you know, we have um, astronaut Hezza, um, who who was telling us before he went to space that actually this whole uh, fascination with space started when he was a child back in an A&N and he would look up to a sky sprayed with stars and he would he would, you know, just imagine what it would be like to be up there. And, 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 and now he's, you know, he's achieved it. And then the same with um, astronaut uh, Sultan Niyadi, who was telling us in one of the clips on Elf and uh, Space that um, our um, ancestors and our grandparents actually used to tell us that if you were able to count all the stars, then one of them will come and carry you up there. And that he would count these stars with the hope to, to be lifted up. And, and um, obviously star navigation um, is, was been a huge, um, always been a you know huge way that people in this region in the past used to navigate the deserts and 
So there is that uh, deep connection to um, uh, to the universe that that's always um, the region has always had. But this is the first time that children are seeing an astronaut speaking Emirati, speaking Arabic up in space and showing them that this is possible for them. You know, mm. um, we had uh, the astronauts take some of the, some samples of the Emirati food, uh, their saloon and um, and uh, and Tirid up to up to space and and share it with with astronauts, which was is just so interesting. It it takes a piece of who you are to somewhere where you previously may have thought is impossible and now it opens a whole world of possibilities. Yeah, and I imagine the aim of the program was to educate children and, and to get them enthusiastic about those STEM subjects, the science, the tech, the maths, you know, the, the engineering, the, the, the subjects that, admit that for many people are, are a little mm-hmm. bit harder. You have to work a little yes. bit harder at them and it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, where your career might take you when you study those subjects because of course uh, but 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 of course it can take you to being an astronaut for example yeah absolutely i mean it definitely was about uh, STEM, but it also, I mean, I, I'll say STEAM because um, it, it was more about igniting that interest and the love of space. So we had, for example, one of our very popular episodes with, with the um, world famous illustrator, Rob Biddulph. And um, they just, you know, he, he was teaching children to make their own space drawings. You know, it could be as simple as that, or it would have been the other, um, you know, there was 12 episodes where astronaut Sultan himself was a part of um, those series and answering questions and telling us more about space. So it was a nice mix of the art side of things and 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 the science and just connecting us through storytelling, through poetry, um, uh, to the subject of space. I have to say what's great is you're getting him back now. I mean, he did all that work while, you know, thousands of kilometres above Earth in, a, in, a, in an orbiting laboratory. Now he's coming back yes. to Earth. You'll have him in the UAE and, and you've got the opportunity to start a whole new educational programme. And I know that that's something that happened with mm-hmm. Hazar al-Mansouri as well when he returned. He did loads of school visits and, mm-hmm. and they get mobbed, don't they? They're, I mean, they're just hugely popular. Oui. We have a very special connection with Mohammed Barash's Space Center. Actually, the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature was their first public appearance. So we were honored. I was there. Um, I was there. I got yes, a selfie. You I've were never, there, yes. I've never been so excited. <laughs> I'm a complete, like, I, like, I'll ignore pop, pop stars and film stars. But when it comes to astronauts, I'm like, can I have a selfie? <laughs> yeah, why not? Space fangirl. Uh, Space fangirl. Uh, amazing as ever, Alam, to have you join us on the line. Thank you so much for giving us a sense of just how effective uh, that space program has been. You know, that, that link up between the Emirates Literature Foundation and the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre. I, I can't wait to find out about uh, the new program that, will, of course, will kick into uh, force as soon as uh, Sultan has returned to Earth. Now, if you want to follow that return, uh, all you need to do is tune in to Dubai Eye 103.8. We'll have full coverage here over the weekend. Uh, you need to start looking out. As I mentioned there, the timings for you, um, they are due, Sultan al and the rest of his crew, six mates, are due to begin their journey back to Earth just after five tomorrow and they're scheduled to splash down off the coast of florida no earlier than 8 58 a.m on sunday morning so keep your eyes glued and your ears peeled to dubai i 103.8 does that work i don't know if that quite works this is eye on education on the agenda with the royal grammar school guildford dubai hello there welcome back to the show i'm really sorry if you're in that uh ghastly traffic at the moment. Anil has said uh, there's just one way to describe the back to school. It is congested chaos. Uh, what's made it worse is that the roadworks and roadblocks just outside my son's school, uh, not sure why the relevant authorities couldn't have started and completed the works during the holidays instead of just starting it as school reopened. Abdullah Sam's got in touch saying my black points are still there, but they might still be collecting data as it's not only accidents, it's also infractions. That is, of course, one of the strategies that was introduced by the Ministry uh, of Interior to try to encourage people to drive very safely on that first day back at school. People were going to get their black points removed. Uh, But it's not the only initiative that was introduced by the government, because over the summer, the attention of the authorities did actually turn specifically to the school run, didn't they, Jen? It did. And as you say, this happened while many families were away. But early in August, the UAE unveiled a major new nationwide roads and infrastructure project aimed 
and making our journeys safer than before. The initiative was launched by Minister of Energy and Infrastructure, Sahail Al-Mazrui, with the combined aim of tackling accident hotspots, flood risk and reducing incidents during the school run. And the programme is pretty extensive. As a whole, it falls under the National Programme for Infrastructure Development, otherwise known as Salama 365, which takes a 360-degree look at transport infrastructure. But part of the unveiling last month was of a so-called smart school model. Now, the details of that are yet to be announced, but we do know that it will see enhanced infrastructure such as pedestrian crossings and smart technology installed around schools across the country. Now, Thomas Edelman, who is the founder of Road Safety UAE, told us then that targeting the specific challenges of the school run head-on is a very smart move from the authorities. We are also very glad to see that this is on the agenda of the authorities um, because we all experience the, uh, the chaotic situation sometimes in the morning, especially in those areas um, where you have kind of this concentration of schools. So um, we have to, to remain uh, very interested what the final content will be. But I think technology can play a role there. Certainly, police presence can play a role there. Uh, again, the element of infrastructure can play a role there. How the roads are designed, how the, the parking uh, opportunities are designed. Um, because uh, very often you don't really have dedicated parking uh, spots next to the schools. Maybe the existing infrastructure can tempor- temporarily used um, to accommodate uh, parking parents, etc., um, etc. Et so, I mean, um, the, the content has not yet been announced. It's a little bit of a teaser, which is always good. <laughs> <laughs> because we are even more excited to to know what's what's uh, what's in the bag, but again, it's another great initiative, and it's it's definitely um, a topic that um, keeps us busy, and uh, so it will also help the situation further. Thomas Edelman there, the founder of Road Safety UAE. I imagine many people currently uh, running late for that school run, stuck in jams, uh, will suggest that it can't come soon enough. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.